Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the Book Riot Podcast. This is episode 357. I'm here with Jen Northington, who hasn't been on in a while, though I got to I brought her back in time to talk about awkward independent book selling retail <laughs> solutions, which is her I don't know that you we haven't it's talked about your specialty. wheelhouse. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your wheelhouse, your beehive, I guess yeah. maybe as it should be. Um, and recording on uh, February twenty seventh, twenty twenty. Uh, Jen, welcome back. Thank you. Always good to be here. If you don't know, Jen hosts co hosts with Sharifa um, SFF Yeah our science fiction fantasy podcast, and Get Booked with Amanda, which is recommendations. Um, you can write in, and they'll recommend books personally for you that then other people can hear. Because the only thing better is the recommendation for you is voyeuristically listening to a recommendation for someone else. What are people asking for? <laughs> are, do you, are there any trends right now in the recommendation um, oh. world? Gosh, that's interesting. Um, you know, there's sort of perennial trends. Right. Like we get a lot of Neil Gaiman slash Madeline Miller comp requests, things like mm. that. Uh, and there's always like, I'm going on vacation to Greece. What should I read about Greece kind of things? But I don't think there's anything super on trend at the moment. Also, you know, we have like three plus years of questions right. and we'll we'll never get to all of them so these are trends from 2017 you're i was just gonna say right. so amanda yeah she when she builds the agenda she picks sort of from all over the place right. so you know it's it varies <laughs> what a glow up from madeline miller though i mean that's a trend i mean at least in the the macro macro yeah, book recommendation sure. since pre-searcy she's not she's not that right when it's song of a no. alone. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, let's do a quick sponsor and then follow up. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so last week, Rebecca and I asked for, we were talking about um, Flatiron's new imprint co-publishing venture with iHeartMedia, I think is what they've changed. It used to be iHeartRadio, about basically a dedicated imprint for turning, or making publishing books by f- podcasts, based on podcasts, originating from podcast IP communities, hosts, etc. And we were wondering if there was a great book yet that's come out of a podcast, a popular one. And boy, did we get responses. I got a whole bunch of responses. I, I don't know any of them myself. And this is one of the things about podcasts. And I think one of the reasons we asked the question is, there are generally speaking, fairly niche in a macro sense. Like it's not celebrity. It's not um, Jessica Simpson's memoir, which is selling very well because she's a big celebrity. Podcasts tend not to be like that. There's some, but it's it's even more top-heavy than other walks of life. And so I'll put links into the in the show notes for the books that people mention. But a lot of people talking about podcasts they really like and the book that they bought and read about it they really liked. So there's an audience for this kinds of thing. What the scale is, I don't know. But thank you all um, so much for writing in. And it got me, th- it got me to think about asking about someone's favorite podcast. It's sort of like asking them about the dream they had last night. I mean, <laughs> like you kind of want to know, but you also kind of don't care. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's one of those, like, don't tell me about the podcast episode you just listened to. Um, I guess I'm interested if you like that, but there's a certain specificity, I, I guess a, an asymmetry in your interest and my interest. Uh, let's put it that way and how these things go. Um, also, this is a bit of a, announcement slash get ready our next dedicated read for a podcast in which Rebecca and I will spend a whole episode diving deep on one book um, we're going to do several 2020 new releases the next one's going to be Weather by Jenny Offal which was voted upon by Book Ride Insiders and Jen which which level do you have to be to be able to vote I can't remember now yes so you have to be an epic member right. okay. which is $7 a month and they get all kinds of podcast perks they vote on bonus episodes for this show they can get fast tracked recommendations on Get Booked right. and they can put in theme requests for all the backlist episodes right so if you like the podcast um, you know, that's the epic level of, of Insiders. I'll put a link to Insiders in the show note. There's other levels, and you can get all the perks that you release in Dex, the Read Harder podcast, so on and so forth, all available there. But the um, epic level Insiders have spoken, and their choice is Weather by Jenny Offal. Can't say I'm sad about that. So <laughs> I've got my copy. Is, uh, it's winging its way to me right now. So I think we're going to talk about that on the three March 4th episode. Um, so that's coming up. Uh, we'll be recording that pretty soon. But if you want to read in anticipation of that, do that. Let's see. I think we're going to talk about bookshop.org for quite a while. So let's just do 
Toni Morrison Day. You found this. What is the Toni Morrison Day, Jen? Yeah. This is a late addition to the agenda. <laughs> I was I was scrolling through my feedly and I was like, wait, did we know about this? I didn't know about this. <laughs> uh, the state of Ohio has passed legislation to honor Toni Morrison, who was born in Lorain, Ohio, apparently. I, that's not a thing that I yep, knew. Yep, she was. She was born yeah. in Lorain, Ohio. Yeah, so her birthday is February 18th, and that is now officially Toni Morrison Day. Uh, And there's a lovely quote here from a state representative about how Toni Morrison is the embodiment of the promise of Ohio, which is an interesting, yeah, right? Like, what a sentence. (laughs) Wow, that's loaded. It could go either way. Right, exactly. You you could do a real close read of that sentence. Yeah. Um, but I think that's super cool. It's a good look for Ohio it now. Is. Morrison works on the whole isn't a bad look for Ohio. Right. <laughs> um, but I think well deserved, of course, if anyone's going to get it. And did you just see this in your feedly? They're announcing it six days after it happened, or ten days, or was this like right before? Yeah, um, I the news piece that I was referencing from. Let's see, I found millions, it on it the millions, like. yeah. but it looks like they picked it up from a Cleveland news okay. site, which went up on February twentieth, which would have been you know a couple days after right. February eighteenth. So that mm-hmm. would make sense. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and um, Rebecca and I are planning to do something about Toni Morrison on a on an episode sometime this year. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned it on the show, but um, 2020 is the 50-year anniversary of the publication of The Bluest Eye, which is Toni Morrison's first novel. So her passing, 50-year anniversary. Now Ohio's jumping on board. We've got, there's, it's it's the year of Morrison in a lot of ways. If you've got ideas about what kind of an episode you guys would find interesting on Toni Morrison, um, if you listen to this show, you know um, we have affection, interest, and deep, deep affinity and and investment in Mm -hmm. Toni Morrison as a writer, but in the work um, and I think part of, part of our investment is causing us to be not sure what to do. Our first thought was, well, let's do a 50 years later on The Bluest Eye, which, I don't know, feels like doing 50 years later on The Shroud of Turin. Like, it, I, I, I'm not worthy to use a Wayne's World reference. I, I just That doesn't feel right, but we want to do something. I'm not sure what um, that thing is. Should we have a guest? Should we not have a guest? I'm not sure. But podcast at uh, bookriot.com um, if something strikes you. Thank you guys so much, too. A lot of... Um, Nice comments on our episode about um, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential um, 20 years later. Mm. I felt that was, I'm not sure what I want from those episodes, but whatever it was, that was it. Um, from a podcasting, actually making the thing and having the experience point of view. I, Rebecca and I would have been happy to do that without it being a thing. Um, so we're looking for some other things like that. We're, there's not that, we don't have too many Morrisons and Bourdains out there, so yeah. it's not, it's not a, a scalable kind of idea, but at least for those, um, it was interesting there. Okay, I think we better do another quick sponsor break um, before we dive into Bookshop. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, Quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris, 
is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Okay, bookshop.org is live. And I knew this. It went live late January, right, Jen? I was trying. I was looking for a press release. Yeah, late January, early February, I think. Which they had said, I mean, credit to the people behind bookshop.org. They said January, um, mm-hmm. late last year. And you... I, I, I always remember this very astutely. I said, well, why not have it up for Christmas when people are buying books? And, and you're like, you don't understand. A, <laughs> that's the busiest time of year for bookstores. And it's going to be a beta. It says beta on it right now. Mm-hmm. You do not want to screw up people's Christmas book buying experiences. Do it in January. Get yourself through the holidays. You know, February is not typically... You know, February and August and December, probably the three lowest month for volume of interesting book releases. I don't think that's unfair. Um, So it seems like a good time to do it. Um, I bought a book through it. I bought, um, I did a galley, um, a digital galley of Kevin Wynn's New Waves, but I wanted a hardback. So like, that's a good one to pick. It's it's a pre-order. I wanted to see if that worked and I did it. So I guess before we talk about, and you create an affiliate account, which is the other side of this, right? Right. Um, There's the buy side and the sell side. We can talk about both. I guess before I get into any of that, just from looking at it, response, is this a thing right now, Jen? Like, wh- wh- where are we with this particular project? I mean, I have no idea yeah. what its reception has been like in the broader world. I, I have absolutely, I mean, I'm not hooked in, uh, yeah. in the same way I used to be anymore to know. Mm-hmm. I will say that looking at it, the site is real slick. It looks it is. nice. It looks nice. And I think it was genius of them to put that uh they have a ticker that counts up how much money has been raised yes. for local I want to talk about that like, but yes yeah really prominent like i don't know i think you know it's it is still a beta there are definitely some kinks i'm super curious to hear how your ordering process was mm-hmm. uh, but i think like in terms of you know if you want to launch you want it to look good and you want it to you know be clear what their mission is like they have done that as far as i can tell yeah um it is slick it does look like the kind of books you would find at the front of an independent bookstore. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard to say. I mean, genre is not up front. You know, um, surprises not more kids books on the 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 front page. To there is a section, and they do some interesting curatorial thing where they have some lit hub pieces, of course, because same 
a group of smart people over there that does Catapult and LitHub and all that kind of thing. They have an indie bestsellers list. They have some selected lists from independent bookstores, which I think is interesting, you know, award-winning kinds of lists. I think it's much more browsable um, than Amazon for sure, and even Barnes & Noble, if you're just looking for stuff. There is a big, I assume it's an ad for Alana Ferrente's new novel, The Lying Mm -hmm. Life of Adult. It's a pre-order. If you click on it, it takes you to bookshop.org's landing page for it. And I hadn't thought about the advertising potential. Like, uh, this is a, is this a Grove title? I don't know. Who is this? Uh, I'm looking at it now. It's Europa. Other pr- uh, Europa, Europa. Europa. Yeah. Right. Is Europa paying for that? I, I don't know what that might be. But there is, there are some interesting sideways, you know, Amazon found this better than anybody else. Like, people, there's attention on retail pages. You can advertise there because there's purchase intent, blah, blah, blah. Um, but pretty, I don't think on the individual book pages there's any of that so right now it says ten thousand twenty dollars raised for local bookstores it's a month is that good i have no idea that seems, it is right there that seems good to me i would I, I mean again you know when you think about the percentages involved like how many purchases right. that their you know percentage breakdown mm-hmm. they would have to have made to get to that like that's i mean i'm assuming that's that's the percentage number i must i can't imagine how else they would have like that number has that can't be total sales that has to be the percentage no, no it can't be total yeah. sales because i think raised for local bookstores then wildly misleading right exactly. because a lot of that price of the purchase goes into just getting the book from ingram to you remember this right. doesn't touch independent bookstores at all except that they get a check um i went the other way i thought this is kind of wildly disappointing Mm. and i'm just prorating it out right so it's been 30 days Ten thousand divided by 30 is not much 300 dollars a day um times how many bookstores are getting a profit share so basically ten thousand one hundred twenty thousand dollars for the year Divided by three, four, five, how many stores are getting a share? They're going to get a few hundred bucks each at the end of the year? Well, I mean, first of all, it could grow. I mean, you know. Could grow. Could could grow. grow. Could grow. And secondly, I mean, not for nothing, a hundred bucks when you're at a 2% profit margin is also not nothing that you didn't have to do anything for. Like, that's free money for bookstores. Um. And no, is it going to be the difference between a store staying in business and a store closing? No, it's not. But right. is it going to be the difference between like, you know, paying a publishing bill on time? Mm-hmm. Like potentially. Uh, and I don't know. They're, they're, the competition is so stiff, Jeff. Like think about how many other places people could have bought those books. There's so many. It's like an no, I'm endless not saying, list. Yes, right. Yeah. So I guess, so that's my, you know, glasses half full. Like they have a lot of competition. This is a really, and you know, we've had, I think we on our side had trouble getting the messaging like clear in our heads. So like they're, you know, it's a it's a tricky thing to market. Mm-hmm. So that actually to me is a good sign. I don't and know. And February is a slow month as I just said. It's so exactly. using my own against yeah. me. So there's some multiple. I guess here's not counters because I'm not really making an argument. I'm just trying to figure out like what what would be a good number. Right. Again, the stated goal is to really make a material difference in the viability and health of independent bookstores. They're not I think um, Andy Hunter and all those folks over there would admit that a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks per bookstore per year is not what they were hoping to do. Even though, if that would be nice to have a bookstore, I'm not sure they can make their own. Can they stay in business? No, at this of level? course, because this this takes some to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just, I just don't know. Uh, okay, let me talk about my experience. Yeah, it's in, we're, we're gonna be able to track this. Like, I'll come back in a month and say, are we at twenty thousand? Yeah. Are we yeah. at forty thousand? Are we at fifteen thousand? Um, and so much happens in the fall that maybe it won't be fair to look at it until the fall and what the velocity looks like. I can say I bought my book a few days ago um, when the number was nine five three five, and now it's four hundred dollars more. You know, a dollar a day per bookstore. I can't imagine they went to all this effort for that. Um, the the numbers they said were very lofty. Like, if we do thirty million dollars in business, we can get five million dollars in to bookstores. I'm like, yes, I understand. You can also, if I win the lottery, then I win the lottery. Right. Isn't that all? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I just don't. The path forward, I don't see. Because the other thing that we know about products that launch is, you get a bunch of publicity at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then it goes nowhere. So. Yeah. This also could be the high water mark. I think it's right. just as likely that this is the high water mark as this is the pebbles, the pebble one, and what will eventually build a, a jar of full pebbles. I'm not sure. Um, let, let me do. You want to do sell side or buy side first for walking through the effort? Let's try. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't know. The affiliate part is like two sentences long. Okay, we'll do that. Do that. So just so people that don't know or don't remember, what's as you as Jen Northington signing affiliate, what the hell are you doing with that? Like, why are you doing it? What are you doing? Who is it benefiting? What do they intend this to do? Well, this is the part that I keep, I'm failing myself here. So you sign up for an affiliate account Mm -hmm. and they give you a dedicated landing page and you can make book lists and you have a pretty simple URL to use in wherever you would like to use it. Um, to send people to your shop, quote unquote, on bookshop.org. Right. Or you can have affiliate links for specific books, whichever way you want to slice it. And how do you generate that? Yeah. So when you are logged in, if okay. you go to a book page, it's right there. You can see it. Uh, it's mm. it's actually very straightforward. Okay, it cool. Was, it was not hard. It took a few minutes. They've since, I, I corresponded a bit with the folks um, in charge, and they've since added a little more documentation for, for affiliates on like, what exactly am I doing here kind of things. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was not hard. It was pretty mm. easy. The thing where, <laughs> the part where it's like, nothing has happened because I keep forgetting to use the link anywhere because I'm <laughs> I'm not, you know, that's not how I'm doing my book promotion. That's not where I make my money is, you know, not in affiliate sales. So it behooves me to like actually post it somewhere and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, it exists. It wasn't hard to put together. And it's certainly the the shop link itself, which you can determine, you know, it's sort of a little vanity URL. It's just booked up bookshop.org slash shop slash whatever you tell it to be mm. uh, is it would be very easy to post wherever I wanted to post that. Yep. So, right. so that part of it was pretty, it was very straightforward. Hmm. Maybe we'll have to drop your affiliate link in the show notes and people could there you look go. at it that way and see, <laughs> see if there's any traction on the buy side. Um, I just went to bookshop.org. Um, now there's really, I guess there are three purchase pathways that benefit different people to a different amount. So if you go through Jen's link, you get 10% of the purchases and a bookstore, the bookstore pool, they, they aggregate these. And they're, for my understanding, they're not um, prorated by size or anything else like that. If you're in the pool and someone buys through Jen's link, those dollars go into pool that's distributed basically one share per bookstore participating in the program. And I'll get to that in a minute. I'm not sure how you find that list or whatever. Um, the other way is if a bookstore uses it and if they bought coming through a bookstore, that bookstore gets 25% of the purchase price um, as profit. And then the other way is I just went to bookshop.org. I didn't go through an affiliate link. I didn't go through a bookstore's link. And in that situation, 
10% of the purchase price goes to the pool. Uh, so for an individual independent bookstore, it's best for me to go through their link. For bookshop.org, it's best for me to go just to bookshop.org because they don't have to split with affiliate. And for the individual affiliate person, it's best to go through affiliate link. I finally got that in my head in a way that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. I'm not sure if those competing pathways is ultimately good or smart or useful or not, but it's just the truth. That's what it is. So I went New Waves, easy, it's there, pre-order, it's checkout. Checkout was fine, shipping three to five days, throws the shipping price on there. Um, there's 10% discounts. So with the discount on a 2799 <clears throat> hardcover, full <laughs> price, um, minus the discount plus the shipping, it was like 28 bucks. It's more than I would pay at my local pals. It's six blocks away, but that's a, I'm trying it just to see. Here's the part that maybe, maybe I'm trying to do too much with what they're trying to do. At no point in the checkout process does it give me any sense of what the bookstores are that I'm supporting are. There's, you know, it's just a four bookstores. Okay, I guess I understand in aggregate it's independent bookstores. Not until I get a confirmation email and it says, here are the bookstores near, here are independent bookstores near you. And it gives a list. It's Powell's and Broadway Books and all the bookstores I know around me. But it's not clear to me, is Powell's participating in this? My understanding is they weren't, but like they're not getting the money. They are getting their share of the however many bookstores are um, participating, but it's all misleading. It makes it sound like they're getting the money that goes to it. I, I don't know. It's a little confusing, and it's not towards the end. Like, it would be cool if on the checkout page or in the cart it said, here are the local bookstores that will get a percentage of your purchase, like right mm. at the ch- cart level. Because I kept waiting for it, and you're supporting inclu- all independent bookstores in America, including your local bookstores, Powell's, Broadway. Like, but it doesn't say that till you after you've done the purchase. So it makes the moral tax I'm paying on it feel mm. less good to pay because I don't get it till after I've decided to make the purchase. I think if they want to intervene on people's ethical desire, somewhere before buying it and getting the confirmation page probably would do them a lot of good because it's very confusing about where the money is going and how much um, it's going to. I always thought that it would be interesting if you then could select which bookstore you wanted to go towards. I know... Um, Kobo, didn't they used to do that? They were doing that where you're still working in an independent bookstore, right? If you buy an audio book or an e-book, you could do it that way? Well, yeah, sort of. You basically sign up for your Kobo account through your bookstore's special mm. sign-up page. Oh, I mean, my that's right. my account is still tied to Word in Brooklyn. Like, oh, it will forever be tied. And actually, if you move, it's really complicated trying to switch your local bookstore. Mm. Um, I remember that being a thing. Uh, so, yeah. So, but that was, again, you're not like, you know, you're not presented with a drop-down list of bookstores that you could support and then deciding with each purchase where the money goes, you're just like, your account is tied to them and they get a percentage. Yeah. So, yeah, I did actually ask my contact at bookshop.org if they were going to be, if it was going to be more clear, you know, how many bookstores are signed up. Which I kept ones. looking for that list. Who's participating? Yeah. And she said that they were working on it. So okay. theoretically, we will at some point be able to see that really obviously from mm-hmm. the homepage, but it's not there yet. I was shocked that there wasn't in About Us a list of here are the bookstores participating. I, yeah. I really, I frankly really was. I thought he would live. I thought that would have been front and center at the top, a list of bookshock.org partner bookstores or here's who the beneficiary or whatever it is. And I was really surprised not to not to see that, to be quite honest. Um, mm. And really not to see any mention of a specific bookstore till after I made the purchase seemed like a missed opportunity. Um, mm. And I don't know how someone who doesn't understand, like you and I have do- dove through the terms of service and the FAQ. If this is my dad, right. uh, does he... 
maybe it doesn't, maybe they've done some market research and it doesn't really matter. Just the idea of an independent bookstore is like, it says support local bookstores, comma, shop online with bookshop. Maybe you just believe that to be true and it's an aggregate good and you'd be doing it anyway. Um, the thing I keep coming back to is it'd be better for my local Broadway books if I bought the book at Amazon and just gave them $10. I mean, that's what, I mean, no one does that, but I kept, I kept thinking about the opportunity cost of what's really going on here. And I, well, c- I can't get around. I just can't get around it. I, can't I think it brings us back to who they're targeting, which yep. is, is, again, not they're not targeting us. We already know how to shop local and we understand yeah. the economics of it. They're targeting people who like are perhaps aware that there are local bookstores in the world, but aren't already super tied into their local or maybe mm-hmm. they don't have one. Maybe they live somewhere that doesn't have a local because that's a thing. And so, you know, this is their opportunity. And like in that case, yep. it matters less to them, the specific store than the thing that they're doing, which is mm-hmm. supporting independent businesses. And, you know, really, it's like it's not so much that you're, sh- you're supporting a particular local as you're not shopping at Amazon. Right. Yeah. Well, you could do it at Barnes & Noble. I mean, you could go right. another, yeah. n- any other different ways. Maria sure. wrote in. I oh, just go ahead, mean, Jeff. you know, the word independent bookstore or local bookstore in that matter. Because yes. actually it's not independent, it's local, uh, which is different. Oh, wait. Uh, do I know the difference? Well, so you could have a, your local bookstore could be Barnes & Noble, but that's not an independent bookstore. But Barnes & Noble's not in this. Well, I'm just saying that the language is open. Oh, I see. Interpretation. Because it's hard I, to call Powell's an independent bookstore anymore. That's my... I mean, it is, but it's... Sure, no. sure. <laughs> sure. Or The Strand. I mean, I guess, yeah, it is. But it, but it, again, it's... you know, this is for people who are doing the bulk of their book shopping online. They're not already attached to the indie scene. No. This is who they're going after. So that, like, you know... Mm-hmm. It's not... It's kind of not for us in that No, sense. it's not for us. I'm just wondering if there's... If it's not us... Who is the who? Um, but um, someone wrote in as part of the um, Books About podcast. Uh, Maria, thank you so much, saying that she shopped through Bookstore.org, picked up a couple of things. She doesn't have a local bookstore or a local indie, whatever, however, you know, whatever this is supposed to benefit. She doesn't have one, though she likes the idea, of, like, like many of us do. And she ordered some books through it, and she felt good about it rather than spending the money on, on Amazon. Um, maybe there's enough. Maybe yeah. there's enough uh, to go. But it's live. Go check it out um, if you've got thoughts about it. Uh, I'd sure like to hear it. If you are little birdies that know more things from either side of the equation, as you know, I will only attribute you as a little birdie if you would like to. So I'd like to hear more about it. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess the follow-up one, and I'd forgotten about this because I think we were doing a special episode or moving things around. Weirdly, like two days before this went live, Libro.fm did... Is Caddy too strong, Jen? I don't even know what this is. They launched this... (laughs) It's a weird, it's a broken tool. It's called book. Uh, now I've lost it in the show notes even. I can't even remember what Bookstore it's called. Bookstore link. Bookstore link, which is basically points you. If you, you go to bookstore link, I'll put a link in the show notes. You type in such a fun age. Um, it'll say, do you want an audiobook or a print book? Because obviously Libro.fm is an audiobook thing. And if you hit the print book, it'll ask you for your zip code. And then it will push you towards the... Um, e-commerce page for a local bookstore. And I think you can pick amongst a few. Now, one of the problems is not all local bookstores have a at all any e-commerce at all, or if they do, mm-hmm. it's bad. But it seemed like trying to take some air out of the bookshop.org thing, especially since we thought uh, that at some point, Libro and FM and bookshop.org would be natural partners, because right now you can't buy e-books or audiobooks on bookshop.org. And Libro FM has has used the same messaging that bookshop.org is about supporting local, ind- local bookstores, don't shop at the big bad A, 
but it seemed like a very weird move, like three days before this launch to do this. Can you make sense out of what's going on here, Jen? I mean, I can't speak to their motivations. The thing that confuses me is that IndieBound.org already does this. And yeah. with like, you know, it's it's clunky, but it is exactly this. You search for a book, yep. you tell it where you live, it sends you to the local bookstore. And not for nothing, this is a very minimalist tool like this is there's no book covers on this page they're not promoting anything Mm -hmm. it is just like a gener a link generator this is a link generator which i guess there's a place for but i don't understand why i don't understand why yeah i don't know why they stepped in front of the line um and dropped a stink bomb like this like what's the point of that because this is a bad product like no one should use this this doesn't work it doesn't make sense to me um, I, yeah, I just... And why do this? And it got a thing in shelf awareness. I was like, they clearly made an announcement about it. Are they negotiating with bookshop.org? And this is some sort of, well, we'll just build our own if you don't give us a better cut. The motivations to me, I don't see a motivation that makes sense um, or that seems, I don't know, defensible in a way yeah, that and I, I mean, can understand. If you look at their about page, it's, you know, the language is like, this is a gift to the bookish community. We don't make any money off of this. We just want to connect you to your local bookstore. And it's like, well, there's already tools out there that do this. And maybe they've, maybe I'm, I'm speculating wildly here. Welcome to the show, Jen, speculating wildly. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe they feel like the tools, the pre-existing tools are too complicated or, you know, not, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they just think that a super simple, really straightforward tool is a thing that anybody wants and or will use but mm. i don't get it i don't yep. get it i confess i mean I I'm, Im- I'm bored but... with libro fm i just don't get this yeah it's a great service and i think even i mean frankly even more than bookshop.org it was providing a replacement service that really mm-hmm. didn't exist in a meaningful way um, yeah. an audible um, alternative um my only guess would be again i now think of terms of things of like underpinning business to business reasons for weird things that I don't understand, which is I can imagine the revenue split of incorporating Libro.fm onto bookshop.org has to be complicated to figure out a way that mm. makes sense for both parties. Because um, Libro.fm, I'm not sure that it's a super high margin business. I think it's okay. But if you have to split half with bookshop.org, does it start to make sense to be in business with them or would you rather just drive people to libro.fm kind of like the the wall that seems to appear a little bit between audible and amazon like on amazon you search for a book you can see buy it on audible but on audible it doesn't show you print and kindle book versions on the audible pages so there's some kind of something going on there that's i think someone's not happy about and and it certainly seems like it's libro.fm's not happy about something um anyway i guess i don't know who at this point for the ebook fulfillment would make sense as a partner even now. Uh, I don't think it can be Kobo. I don't think. I don't know. There's no... There's I don't know no, why it couldn't be Kobo. You don't think mess up the messaging that we're going to outsource to the Japanese Amazon oh, well. to do your ebook fulfillment? <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> I mean, maybe people don't care, Jen. Like, yeah. may, maybe they're, they're like... Independent bookstores don't sell ebooks, so we might as well... Right go to where we can that's not Amazon, but I, I just wonder if it clouds the message. Yeah, um, that's a fair. Bit too. Any other thoughts about this particular? Oh, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. Again, it, it is what I thought it was going to be. 
and I'm still as yes. I'm still as unsure about it as I was then. I think maybe it looks a little bit better uh, than I thought. Um, it's it looks great. I haven't tried on a phone. I should try it on a phone or iPad because so much e-commerce happens in those spaces now. Um, do, 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 where do we want to go next? Let's do. Uh, you know, we'll do our last sponsor break to get it out of the way. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who has moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Albachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book, titled The Dare, is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Have you followed the Barnes Noble Book of the Year thing at all, Jen? Probably I if have... you were a bookseller, you would have done it more. I've been unfortunately late coming to it, but you haven't followed it at all. No, I, I kind of don't know anything about it. So this is Okay, all you. let me take it. So Rebecca and I talked about the announcement of that there would be announcement that Barnes and Noble was going to do a book of the year prize. But I don't think we ever got around to again, it's end of the year, we're between things, blah, blah, blah. I don't think we ever got around to talking about the selection. And then even more than the selection has been the long, uh, frankly, the success of the book. Um, I look at Publishers Weekly's book scan sales every week, and Charles McKeezy's, I haven't heard the name said out loud, so I'm apologize to the whole McKeezy tribe if I got that wrong. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse was the bookseller's book of the year. It is kind of hard to describe. It's sort of a children's book. It's illustrated. The, the words are scripty. But it's not a picture book. It's it's pretty interesting, actually. Um, kind of, I'm trying to think of an equivalent. It's kind of a kid's book in the way that Winnie the Pooh is a kid's book. Like it is, but it also works as an allegory or, or little prints. It kind of feels mm. like in that, you know what I'm talking about, Jen? Mm -hmm, you can feel the vibe mm -hmm. I'm going for? Yeah. It's like that. And it's selling 25,000 copies a week over wow. the last 10 weeks, which 
is a big deal for a book like this, and I don't know what to make of this at this particular time. I, I've got some theories about why it might be selling, but also then maybe why Barnes & Noble picked it. But um, now that I've told you that, Jen, are, are you as surprised that I am that this actually moved units to this degree, this, this award? Yeah, I well, ugh, I am and I'm not. So, because okay. it depends on how they've done the merchandising. Mm-hmm. Like, Tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, when you walk into... Barnes and Noble in particular, but really any bookstore that's a chain and some independents actually, the books you see in the front are usually paid for placement. Like they're yeah. there because, you know, the the publishers know that what you see first is often what you buy. Mm. And if every Barnes and Noble in the country has like a giant stack of this at the cash wrap and right when you walk in the door, like you can move units that yeah. way. People don't right. pay for it for their health. Like that mm. makes perfect sense to me. Mm. And I also wonder, it's interesting if you think about, you know, like you you referred to the little prince and now I'm thinking about Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Yes, like people there you go. love an allegory. That book in particular sold like a bajillion copies mm-hmm. um back in the day. So I do wonder if if this sort of uh all ages heartwarming ness of a book like this also makes a difference. Like if it was, you know, I was looking at the list of the other options and if it was, you know, I don't know the food of Sichuan by Fuchsia. <laughs> right, right. Like, I just wonder right. if the nickel selling... boys by Colton white. Exactly. Like, are you going to yeah. sell 25,000 copies a week of that? Like, ugh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much the combination of the placement and then the book itself is driving that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I think both, it could be column A, column B. One, one is that the Barnes Noble book award has some juice for the reasons you describe. It has the merchandising effect People pay attention. People buy a lot of books at Barnes and Noble. Like mm-hmm. there's a reason that when the Pulitzer Prize announced or other things announced, they every the books that win get a bump. Um, this one got a huge bump, and the long lastingness of it. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see the first week kind of do twenty, and then fifteen, and then ten, and you know, mm. sort of especially through the Christmas season. Like it's a great gift book. Sure. Like if you don't know what to get to a kid or a family or something in your life and you're in Barnes and Noble, it's like, well, this looks good. It's got a horse and it's got line drawings that look like Ernest Shepard's Winnie the Pooh stuff and we're off to the races. Um, can I do, can I be cynical for a sure. minute? It's a great, it, it, it's, there's no audio equivalent, right? Because it's mostly illustrations. Mm. I don't think it's, I think it's perfect for print. It's a great gift book. You're not, I don't think you want to get on ebook because it's this larger format and it has this weird handwritten kind of script that I think would be hard to read small. It's hard to read as it is, frankly. Hmm. And I think when I first saw it, it sold out at every place that wasn't Barnes and Noble. So I think they did some stock stuff. They knew Hmm. they were going to get, they knew it was going to be the award winner. So they ordered a whole bunch of copies and maybe kind of de facto cornered the market on the print editions for a while. But I think it's designed to sell. I think it's the only book award I can think of that's really designed to sell books. Yeah. Is that weird? No. And I don't know if I, how so I feel true, about though. that. I don't know if I feel about that. But it's like, oh, that's if what if what if people did this? Like you you gave the award to a book that you thought would sell in a particular place to a particular, I don't know, demographic. And I don't know if it's either. It's it could be both cynical and brilliant. But or is it just cynical? Or is it just brilliant? I, I don't know what to make of it because. In hindsight, it's the perfect choice for Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. because it's kind of a 
you're just walk, kind of like the Snickers bar at the, the grocery checkout. Oh, it's there. It looks great. I like Little Prince. You know, um, Little Jane would love this. Uh, what a great gift. And it's really easy to buy. But the thing that's happening now is I think that they can't manufacture is that selling 22,000 copies a week in February is word of mouth. Now yeah. people are giving it and they're giving it to other people and it's going to do, it could be like the, oh, the places where you go. It just becomes a replacement value right. kids book gift that you give to people. But I, I thought it was really fascinating and what a home run for them out of um, the gate. Uh, 3,500 3, ra- ratings on Amazon right oh. now, which is not nothing. There is a Kindle version. Um, which isn't great, but it was sold out at a lot of other places. And you can't can't get it at Costco for a while. You couldn't get it at Target. I've never seen a book award go to something like this. This is this is also the kind of thing the New York Times is never going to pick as their best book of right. the year. Amazon's not going to pick the like. I guess maybe the Newberry, Caldecott, those sorts of kids book awards could be there. But I also those don't move these kind of frontline units. Um, so I, I thought it was really interesting. And is it a one off? You know, I guess we'll find out next year. Next, now I'm more more interested in the book, the Barnes and Noble 2020 selection than I ever would have thought I would ever have been um, mm. to see it going forward. There, uh, Little Prince. What was the one? Oh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Do people still buy that? I don't know. I don't yeah. think it. I think its time has passed. Honestly, right. I think yeah. that. I think that was a good long moment, but I think its moment is done. Yeah. yeah. The next story is not one I think I would have put on here if Rebecca was on the show. And I don't even know. I mean, I you you and I both like Star Wars, but also you like science fiction and fantasy, of course. And I was looking at this more. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's anything to make of it. Um, but the top line is so Star Wars, um, which is now a subsidiary of a subsidiary at this point, I guess, a subsidiary of Lucasfilm, which is wholly owned by Disney, um, is starting a new storytelling initiative you can see jen in my document it's yes. ellipses wave initi- <laughs> whatever you want to call it it's called project luminous and it's five books that are kind of from a, a variety of i don't know called genres niches markets that are telling stories set in the time of the old republic for those of you who don't know what that is it's basically the time before the star wars movies as we know them all back when you know, there were thousands of Jedi Knights and everything was fine, I guess, in the galaxy um, before the events of The Phantom Menace, especially. And there's a comic book, there's a middle grade book, there's a YA book, I think there's an adult book. But I don't know, is this is this something or nothing is what I'm going to ask you. Is this interesting to you or is this just what people do now? I mean, friends of the the site we've had on various places, some of it, Justina Ireland and Daniel Hizu Older, um, uh, have projects within this. I think they've both written for Star Wars before. Is this something or nothing, Jen, as someone who follows the sci-fi fantasy world more closely than I do? Yeah, I I think this is interesting based on the participating authors, mm. uh, honestly. That's where okay. I think the interesting part is. I think it's really interesting that Justina Ireland and Daniel Jose Older are part of, you know, an initial wave of a, what looks like a huge content project. Yeah. Um, I mean, Charles Soleil is not a surprise to me. Claudia Gray, also not a surprise to me. She's had some of, I think the most, I mean, I don't have the numbers, but my sense is that her Star Wars books have been among the most successful. Lost Stars was awesome. Oh, I read yeah. it. I loved Lost Stars. I, mean, I really did. Bloodline knocked me over. I loved yep. Bloodline. I love that so. too, both of them. 
Yeah. So I think she's been, you know, if you've only read one or two, like, the, you know, mm-hmm. of uh, like we, we've both yeah, read her, right, which right, I think right, says something, examples. right, about her saturation into this. So she's not a surprise to me. But, you know, the, and I I mean, Daniel and Justina both have done great things, but it just, I, you know, they're they're rising stars. Yeah. Uh, and and it's cool to me to see them involved in this launch project. I think it's, you know, the amount of content that exists mm. for Star Wars is gobsmacking to me. The number of cartoons, the number of books, the number of comics, the number of movies now, like it their shows. I mean, it's just there's so much of it. There's it's so, so much of it. And and I'm not a completist. I've read a handful of the books. I've only watched one or two episodes of one or two of the cartoons. Although mm-hmm. I will say that I don't know if you remember this, Jeff, but I was in college when I think it was with Cartoon Network. They did a short, a limited edition run of like five minute cartoons called The Clone Wars. Yeah, the very first Clone the Wars. The very first yes. Clone Wars. The Tartovskis, and they're awesome. Yes, I made sure that I was <laughs> at my computer Oh, really? When those were launching so that I could watch them as they aired. And I own the DVD of that original run. So, like, I have I have attachment to specific chunks of the content. And, like, the early mm. Timothy Zane novels, for example. Of course. Yeah, of course. right? Like, yeah, right. so, but, the, but the again. Zon, the first Zahn books, right? Yeah. Aired but like, the Empire or something? I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember. Can't remember. Uh, but, but that's like, you know, I'm not a completist. I'm not up on the current stuff. I haven't, you know, I've not been following it as closely as, as many of my friends and, and, you know, other folks that I know have been. So I, but I mean, again, like, I think it's interesting because they do seem to be making a real effort in all of these cases to diversify, to bring in new voices, to, you know, go off in potentially weird directions and see what happens. And mm. I, if you're going to have that much money and that much clout, like they're using their powers at least a little bit for good. I mean, they're, they're raking it in in the meantime, but you know, I'm on board, I guess. I'll say this about Disney and Lucasfilm on the whole, they're no dummies. And yeah. at the very least, they're not shooting themselves in the foot by having it be five white dudes. I mean, yeah. at the very least they're not doing that. Um, but the books are really interesting, and I've read some like like you. I, I'm probably more interested on your average Star Wars piece of content than you are. But there's so much now; I can't keep track of it. And it makes sense. Look, when I was a you know, I, I grew up in the dark times of Star Wars fandom. When you know, I was born after. Well, I basically was uh, in 1983. I was five years old, so I wasn't seeing Return of the Jedi in the theater. Mm-hmm. But I was a Star Wars fan, and between '83. And 99, when I sort of grew up, all you had was the original movies and a video game every now and again. Mm-hmm. And then these weird novelizations um, that um, that didn't really necessarily line up with things that happened later. Like in one of the early novels, like Luke and Leia actually like get together and that turned out to be a huge mistake because <laughs> they, they had no integrated storytelling and project. So the idea that I could walk into Pals like I do now and be overwhelmed by the amount of Star Wars content available to me is one of those things I just wouldn't have imagined at that point. And, and it makes sense, too, because if you think of it as Star Wars trying to model something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm. well, the reason the Marvel Cinematic Universe is because there's all this, there's decades of not, there's print content, for lack of a better term, that they can draw on, that people mm. have affinity for. Like, if Thrawn appeared in the next big t- um, movie franchise, people would lose their minds. It right. would be like Doctor Doom or something showing up, right? So they, I think that some of it is laying groundwork for the IP writ large. 
but that it starts with books. I mean, I, I guess it reminds me that books are among the mass market cultural products you can make kind of the easiest one to do. It's way mm. easier than a TV show, it's way easier than a movie. It's even way easier than five minute Tartofsky clips oh, yeah. of uh, Mace Windu taking out 10,000 um, oh droids God. or whatever. That one was so good though. <laughs> oh, the action, the action. I mean, seriously, if you haven't seen the Tartofsky Clone Wars and you like action Ooh. sci-fi at all, go. they might be on Disney Plus. I don't actually know. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm I assuming know. They, it came with the IP over there, um, but they're wonderful. Tartofsky went on to do um, Samurai, Samurai Jack. Jack. Um, some of the most violent fight sequences you'll ever see in a Star Wars uh, property. I, I, think, I think it's so interesting. So check those out. Project Luminous, it's, they're being very cagey about whether or not it will connect to a movie, a TV show. Oh, um, wait, Jeff, we didn't talk about this line from this, okay, from this do piece it. on Fanset. I just need to read this out loud. Yes, please the, do. The High Republic era's villains are being compared to space Vikings. I like that. <laughs> I just... Are you in or out? Is that, is that yes or no for you? I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I like, I'm just so, I have so many questions. Although I will say that I'm slightly more in because honestly, the idea of space marauders is much more interesting to me at this point yes. in the Star Wars world than more evil bureaucracy. More Sith. More, like, more I Sith, just, yeah. I mean, forget even the Sith, just like, oh, you know, yeah. the, the, the Empire stuff. Like, I you just... don't want more tax talk in your Star Wars, Jen? I know. <laughs> Maybe they're Vikings because the, the trade routes have been blocked and they're... they're... Right. <laughs> I just, I'm anyway. super... I just can imagine them all with, like, their braids and their helmets and their spaceships. Like, I kind of am here for that image. I and really... that's not what it's going to be, but, like, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> if, if their spaceships look like giant canoes. Yes! Or, like, <laughs> yeah. or, like, the long ships, you know, with the, the dragon ship. heads. Yes, that yes. Would be... That would be really great. Um, and... As a Star Wars fan from, you know, as early as I can remember, I'm extremely curious. I care about the movies like everyone else. That's like where I care about the most. But any sign I get of what the next movie is going to be, and say what you will about Rise of Skywalker, um, good or ill, we're in a moment of real indeterminacy about the future, the ongoing Mm. future of the Star Wars universe. I mean, I think there's a lot of demand pent up after the prequels, post-sale, the next trilogy, and the Skywalker thing. Now what is a really fascinating... I mean, I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a creative person in that regard. But I can only imagine the difficulty of saying, okay, we kind of have a blank slate, but that's a problem because do people care about Star Wars? They care about lightsabers and Skywalkers. And they don't really know, I think, at this point. Though maybe the Mandalorian. Well, I was just going to say the Mandalorian, yeah. Yeah, but do people care about the Mandalorian or do they like Baby Yoda? I mean, I think Mm, that's kind of a tough question. I don't think it's tough, Jen. I don't think (laughs) it's tough, actually. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, um, the link in the show notes there. If you have a favorite Star Wars... I guess what we, it's not expanded universe. It's just Star Wars universe stuff now. Some of the stuff has been decanonized and they call it legends and forget about understanding all that. If you have a favorite non-movie, non-Mandalorian um, Star Wars property, I'd sure like to know that podcast at bookriot.com. This is kind of more of a follow-up thing um, related to our Watchmen episode that uh, Oklahoma schools um, are going to include the Tulsa Massacre of 1921 um, that was brought to national attention sadly but i guess better late than never even though late is bad um because it's of figuring in the watchman tv show um and making it something that people talk about there i don't know put that in put that feather in the cap of pop culture can change things i guess um, yeah to some degree it really it really matters there this is something we haven't talked to too much about on the show but i think about all uh, every now and again is 
publishing's sustainability. We think about it in a lot of walks of life, you know, food, of course, transportation, those probably take up orders of magnitude more energy and have more um, environmental costs than books. But books are made of trees and they're made of paper and they get shipped around. And PRH makes a lot of books. Um, and they have pledged to go to carbon neutral by 2030, which to me, 2030 sounds like Blade Runner, but that's only 10 years away. <laughs> um, it's not that far. I think this is kind of going to be de rigueur for publishing uh, coming f- going forward. I don't know how they go carbon neutral, knowing all the shipping and everything else they do. I know less about how these big fulfillment, I mean, they take a lot of resources and it takes oil to put things in trucks and planes and boats and I don't know how they're going to do how they're going to do offsets for all that, but I was heartened to see um, that they're going to pledge to go it. I don't know what the oversight is going to be, blah blah blah. Um, but I'm surprised it's taken this long. That, I guess that's ultimately I'm glad them seeing it, but maybe like the Tulsa massacre, better late than never. But earlier would have been fine too. Jen, have we ta- have we heard much about sustainable publishing at this point? Is this something you've heard much about? You know, there's, uh, of course, it escapes me now and I can't go digging around for it, but there was just a piece I dropped in the contributor slack about a publisher who is specifically, uh, you know, leaning into green Mm. publishing. And Chelsea Green is an imprint, actually, now that I think about it, that I wouldn't be surprised if they have some pretty strict rules for themselves because they focus on environmental literature. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have some history with sustainability and business practices. But this is certainly the first of the big five to make any noises about it. And I, like you, am so curious as to what this actually means. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's because the, the goals are like improve streamline, avoid emissions. <laughs> and you're like, mm-hmm. right, but how will you do that? Like, what what are the mechanisms by which you can avoid unnecessary emissions when, like you say, like, you know, production, manufacturing, shipping, you know, all of those things like that. It's a it's a it's a business that has a lot of, I'm sure, waste byproducts and involves a lot of, you know, shipping all over the world. I mean, the coronavirus is affecting yeah. publishing like yep. it, it's just that's just how international publishing mm-hmm. is. So many things are sourced in so many different places and all have to come together to make a book. And, you know, I love books. Uh, and I and I also know there's been interesting conversations in the past about, you know, physical versus digital. Yep. And are they actually any more, you know, yeah. sustainable? Net, because net matter, server right? farms, you know, are not great <laughs> for the environment either. Paper, you know, lumber mills are not great. Server farms are not great. Like pretty much nothing is great for the environment at this point in our existence. <laughs> right. But yeah. But again, like you, I'm heartened. I mean, I think that yeah, we need to do things. This is a closer in timeline than it could have been. You know, they're talking yeah. about um, transitioning to green energy by 2022, which is pretty soon. And yeah. renewable energy is a great place to start, it seems to me. So, I, yeah, I mean, I will be I would really love to know what specifically they do. Like, I would love to see the white paper on, you know, mm. doing this for the warehouses, reduced our carbon emissions by X percent. Like, I want to see that data. I'm so curious what it is. Yeah, some of it seems 
more understandable and actionable than others? Like source 100% of the paper it uses from certified mills. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what a certified mills, but I'm going to take that as a term of art to mean something that, right. you know, they actually are doing something or behaving in them. If you're going, like you said, it's best to do nothing to, for the environment. Like just right. do nothing. Like just maybe not even exist, frankly. But if you have business activities, which businesses do, there's very few of them that are inherently carbon neutral or even carbon positive. So you do what you can to avoid unnecessary, and maybe this is one of them, and you're going to pay more money for those efforts. Like all these things have expenses. Mm-hmm. And like I saw the thing, like, was it Delta Airlines wants to go carbon neutral? I'm like, okay, what are we I don't know how And you really, do that. th- that's really just um, offsets. You're paying mm. other, you're, you're, ba- you're buying offsets from other places. So, like, okay, we're going to burn an unimaginable amount of gas, but then we're going to subsidize wind farms for other companies in the form of an offset, which I guess is better. Is it, I guess, is that the spirit of being carbon neutral? I don't know. I'm not enough of an integrated sort of um, uh, systems engineer to understand, like, does it actually matter that I pay $4 a month more for my household energy bill so that PG&E can tell me it comes from wind farms? Like, is it really better or does it just make me feel better? Um, I'm not sure. But when you think, when you then when you start thinking about it, I mean, you've worked with actual physical books much more than I have. But when you start thinking about the number of pounds, the pounds of books being moved around a country on a given day, mm-hmm. it's mind-bogglingly huge. So any effort will be good. Um, and I do hope to see other publishers sort of uh, fall in line as soon. It would be hard not to at this point um, when the when the market leader says something. I think that's it for our stories. I want to get you out on this, Jen. What what have you read recently that you want? That's good. What, what's, oh. what's on your what's in the hopper i sprung this on you i'm so sorry actually I'm yeah not sorry. i like doing this <laughs> <laughs> no it's good because just during my lunch break i finally fin- jeff i've been reading this book for like three months i finally finished the heartbeat of wounded knee by david Troyer. oh I, which i recommended on this show it's so good oh, it's amazing man it really like I, this is i got it from the library and it's mm-hmm. i don't want to talk about how long it's been overdue but they wouldn't let me renew it and i was like i'm just keeping it until i'm done <laughs> yes uh and philly library recently went fine free so it doesn't oh, cost me anything so you're the cautionary tale jen you're the, human. You're the anti-pattern sorry. we're worried about okay, i'm fine, so fine. sorry no but okay so they won't let me take any more books out until i return it so it's <laughs> fine. fine it balances Fair. out uh so uh, yeah i've been reading it for so long and i actually when i finished i was like i'm gonna need to own this like this is a reference not only is it a great read <sighs> yeah. but i think it's a reference i think it's a reference book that i, I hadn't thought about it in those yeah. terms so how do you mean well, I I think there's, I mean, the state of American education being what it is, oh, there's yeah. so many things in there that I didn't know about. And he does so many interesting interviews with people and talks about so many different case studies of various, you know, I just, there's just so much in there where I was like, I'm going to be talking to somebody mm. and I'm going to want to be like, did you know? Yes. And I'm not going to remember the name or the date or any other identifying details. And and that's the book I want to have to mm-hmm. help me remember. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just right now I'm just trying to decide, do I wait for paperback or do I get a hardcover? Yeah, I guess you're going to reference that's, you know, aesthetically and just sort of logistically yes. getting out a hardback feels like you're re- it feels it has some authoritativeness, <laughs> stupidly. This, I mean, this <laughs> it is, holds up, too. This is one of the nerdiest things I've had said out loud lately, but it has a beautiful index. Like the index and the bibliography on that book are what, lovely. This is a safe space for that. <laughs> I, that's my, I love to hear that. As someone who has several shelves of book publishing history reference materials, I yes. appreciate that more than maybe uh, anyone else you could possibly say that to. Yeah, I, I didn't want to... I recommend it on the show, and I've, I wasn't done with it. That was part of our um, holiday recommendation mm. sprint and... For the for the dad book plus kind of mm-hmm. person, you know, 
um, I think it has it has the the potential to be kind of the people's history of the United States for its subject. Yeah. I, mean, I think it really does have that kind of future history possibility, which is saying something as they needed. It's not alternative because it's true, but a um, corrective supplement, um, mm-hmm. you know, a context, um, mind blowing how much you don't know kind of experience about things you feel like you have a handle on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so thrilled mm-hmm. that that was your pick. I couldn't have asked for uh, something <laughs> that made me happier. What are um, you reading? I'm reading business books right now, actually, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, oh, that's not true. I read, um, oh, what's the name of it? Well, I read Such a Fun Age. So I just did that. I'm going to read Una out of order. And I don't remember the person's mm. name, the woman's name who wrote it. It's, they've, they've advertised the site, disclaimer, whatever. But I, I, I think I, went, I got hooked by one of our own ads. And nice. someone said, it's like, if you like to aim at the cat's pajamas, you'll like this, which, mm. as you know, as a recommender, is kind of a hard read-alike. So I'm mm-hmm. curious if that... I'm not exactly sure what it's about. I think it might have to do something with time travel, though I don't really know. It has this big commercial lit kind of cover. I don't know. I, that's what I'm going to read next. Um, I don't think I've read anything great recently, to be perfectly honest with you. Oh, such a fun age aside. Mm. Um, and then Everywhere You Don't Belong by Gabriel Bump. He was on the show. I read that a while ago. Um, I guess New Waves, the, the Kevin Wynn mm-hmm. I read, I really mm-hmm. liked. That's not true. I've read a lot of things I like, just nothing new. <laughs> People who've been listening to the show have heard me talk about those, I guess. I see, I see. But you haven't, so there you go. There you go. Um, anything on the horizon coming out that you're looking forward to? Do you have the most anticipated of the year? Oh, Jeff, that's not fair to just drop. So like that, that one's on not me. fair. That one's not that's fair. The <laughs> other one was fair because you had an answer. So this one, I just just be clear where the fairness line is. That's super unfair. Actually, actually, I do have an. See, answer, See, you're though. gonna have one. Don't give me this. Yeah. You have some. <laughs> it's the city we became by NK. There Jensen. you go. I was gonna guess. I was just about to drop this. Like Jen, I know what your answer I've is. I've been, and... <laughs> I've been, hold- I have had a galley for months, and it's oh. just sitting on my shelf. I've been holding off until closer to because I find that if I read something too early. Really, especially that book, I'm not going to be able to talk about it with anyone. So I want to. You want to ride the until... wave. You want to ride the wave. I do want to ride the wave. I do. Yeah, so I do that, but that's coming up very soon, and that means I get to start reading it very soon. So this is one of the hardest O'Neill's razor problems I've had in a very long time. Because <laughs> it's only yeah. duology, right? It's only duology. Ooh, is or that is true? I don't know. I have no idea. I may have talked myself into it being a duology. Maybe because <laughs> I really want to read it. It looks so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. It's a New York book. It's Jemison. It's, ah, I'm very excited for that. Okay, Jen, I've, I've tortured you enough with um, <laughs> pop recommendation questions. Find Jen at, on SFF. Yeah. Find her on Get Booked. Check out Insiders. She, she captains the good ship Insiders for us. Um, and you'll probably get an email from her at some point if you're a part of Insiders, <laughs> either, either written by her or produced by her or otherwise facilitated by her. Jen, thanks for being on the show. Uh, we'll have to get you on before, too. Oh, you and I were talking about doing a book nerd movie club edition for Arrival, which yes. I think is going to happen at some point. Oh, good. Um, and I think I may have talked Sharifa into joining us. Um, Excellent. At some point. I don't know when that'll be, but for those of you out there who like Arrival, um, you and I were nerding out about like, it's good. It's just so, the short story is mm-hmm. good. The movie's good. It's just good. I'm just so glad that it's good. Um, one of the better, ooh, that's a good question. I wonder if that's the best sci-fi adaptation film ooh. that we've had in a while. Uh, but maybe we'll save be. it for it might be i can't nothing jumps to mind but now i'm anchored on it, uh, mm. being it jen we'll talk to you next time thanks